Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Most of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Over my many years of being a pastor, I've had other churches and pastor friends ask me, hey, do you know of anybody who's looking to be a pastor of a church? We're hiring a pastor. And so um, I did some research this past week, and I got some results from a computerized survey. And this computerized survey gave us what the quote-unquote perfect pastor is. Are you ready? Okay, the perfect pastor preaches exactly 15 minutes and dives deeply into the passage, giving the Greek and Hebrew meaning of the words. He addresses major sins but never steps on toes. He works from 7 a.m. until midnight and serves as the custodian. He makes $15 an hour, wears designer clothes, buys two or three books a week to add to his library, drives a Mercedes, and gives $50 a week to the poor. He's 28 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. He's wonderfully gentle and perfectly handsome. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends most of his time with senior adults. He calls or texts 15 church families daily, does hospital visits, and spends his time at Starbucks or in area parks sharing the gospel with the lost. And he's always in the office when you need him. He has an elders meeting on Monday's night, Monday night, a deacons meeting on Tuesday night, teaches a Bible study on Wednesday night, hosts a small group in his home on Thursday night, attends the high school football game on Friday night, has a men's prayer breakfast on Saturday morning, and his wife and children say he's the most devoted husband who spends quality time with them. Also wanted, a man with youthful energy who never takes a vacation. He also had his, has a bed in his office because he never goes home and sleeps in his own bed. What happens when one person does everything? Maybe you've experienced this in a church. You've experienced this in a job. You've experienced this maybe in a school project. That person burns out. They get frustrated. Maybe you've heard of the 80-20 rule where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. In some churches, that ratio is even greater. And so a church rises and falls on its leadership. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of ministries, there's a lot of opportunities, there's a lot of areas of service that this church needs, and we need to be raising up new leaders and servants. And so over the past few weeks, we've introduced to you and explained the discipleship pathway. What we as the elders have been working on for the past few months, what we as staff, elders, deacons, we're, we're unfolding it to you as a church is, is what we believe is a biblical model for where God is leading us as a church in the area of disciple making. And our key passage where we get most of this from is from Acts chapter 2. We have a model of the early church. And so let's just read that again this morning. If you've got a copy of God's Word, we're going to be beginning in verse 41, Acts 2.41. Again, this is on the, the end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they voted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The first aspect that we see in the discipleship pathway is worship biblically. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Worship biblically. We are to gather every Sunday to worship biblically under the authority of God's Word. And you see that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They gathered in the temple courts in the large group gathering for corporate worship. Remember, when we worship biblically, we read God's Bible. We read the Bible. We sing the Bible. We pray the Bible. We preach the Bible. We see the Bible in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. And so, number one is to worship biblically. The highest priority you have as a believer is to gather every Sunday with your church family to worship biblically. And then the second thing we saw is to connect relationally. By the way, this insert is in your bulletin, the graphic that we have that kind of shows the pathway. Connect relationally. You notice what they did here. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper. But also, you notice what they did there in verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They gathered in homes. They gathered in smaller groups. Where, as Pastor Dustin preached a few weeks ago, we could practice the gospel one another's, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. You, you can't do all of that in a large group gathering. We've got to be gathering in smaller groups to mutually encourage one another and pray for one another and to be there in one another's lives. And the third thing we looked at last week is to grow intentionally. Now, we looked at Jesus' model where he, he oftentimes preached to the crowds and sometimes he took 70 and taught them evangelism and other times he had the 12 where he taught them. But we looked last week that he took that inner circle of three, those three men, Peter, James, and John, and he had an intense disciple-making method with those three men. And we talked about the method. It's called a D group, a discipleship group, a gender-specific group of three to five people gathered together for accountability and for more intentional discipleship. And so there's a fourth aspect on the phase, on the wheel, if you will. So let me just ask you a question. What would be the result if everyone connected to Emmanuel participated in the first three phases? If everyone was worshiping biblically, if everyone was connecting relationally, and everyone was growing intentionally, what would be the result? What would be the result would be we would hope to see God by his grace create a culture where people are serving generously. Serving generously. And that's the last aspect on the discipleship pathway. Now, what does it mean to serve generously? Does this mean I have to join a group? The first three phases kind of had a context. Worship biblically, worship service. Connect relationally, our growth groups. Grow intentionally, D groups. Serve generously, there is no group you join. It's a little bit more organic in nature. 
It's where it's the outflow of your Christian life and how you serve and live the Christian life. And so one of the main things we want you to do is we want you to make an impact on this church and an impact on the world for Christ by serving generously. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to explore three areas where we would pray God would create a culture, and only God can do this in his sovereignty, where we are all serving generously so we can all make an impact on this church and make an impact on your neighborhoods, on your schools, in your jobs, and for the world for Christ. So let's look at these three things. And again, I've said this over the past few weeks. These, these, ser- these sermons are a little bit more topical in nature. Next week when we start Judges, we'll get back to more expository preaching. These, we're unveiling this discipleship pathway to you. And so today we're not going to be necessarily in one passage of Scripture. We're going to be looking at, at, at many different things. So here's the first thing that we see in serving generously. First, believers discover and use their gifts to serve others. You're discovering your gift. You're using your gift to serve others, which brings up a huge question. What in the world is a spiritual gift? Well, let's go back to Acts here for just a moment. It's very interesting. When you look at the original language there, that word fellowship, you've probably heard the word koinonia, and koinonia does mean fellowship, but most often that word is tied to this concept of generosity, that you're giving of yourself. You're giving of yourself to others. You're serving others. Fellowshipping is serving others in generosity. Notice also in verse 44, they believed, all those who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Common is the same word that fellowship is. It's Fellowship is koinonia. Common is the word koina. It's, the, it's related to the same Greek word. It means they had things together. They were sharing life together. And then notice verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this was not forced communism or forced socialism. This was voluntarily selling their property and selling things. But here's the point. Nobody had a need in the early church because people were serving one another. They were meeting needs. They were fellowshipping. They were growing together. And here's the point. When you've been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we've been singing about this morning, when when you've experienced the deep, deep love of Jesus, you cannot help but want to share that with others. It's an outflow of who you are. When you've been captured by sovereign grace, you want to love and serve and give yourself to others because Christ has been so gracious with you. Now, the New Testament teaches that if you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift or gifts, a gift mix. Now, where do you get that, Pastor Sean? Well, there's two primary Actually, three, but we'll look at some of these this morning. So Romans chapter 12, 4 through 8. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Key word there. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then Paul lists these gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
What Paul is saying is that each person has a different function. Each person has a different job. And we have gifts that differ according to God's grace given to us. So there are different jobs, different functions that you and I do in the church, and that's related to various different gifts that have been given to us because we're one body, but we have many different parts. And we are to serve one another with these gifts that God has given us. Notice that Paul says, use them. Use your gift. Here's a newsflash, and I'll, I'll repeat this again. Nowhere do, does Paul or Peter tell you to discover your gift. He assumes you have it, and you're to use it. The command in Scripture is to use your gift. Now, the hard part is, what is my gift? How do I discover that? I'm not going to leave you hanging this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about that in just a moment. So Romans tells us that we have a spiritual gift. And there's a variety of gifts. And we have different functions in the life of the church. And we're to be using those gifts. Okay, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Don't have time to go into this, but it's really Trinitarian in nature. Your spiritual gifts have been given to you by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. And you are to be using it for the common good. Not to inflate yourself, not to draw attention to yourself, but for the common good. To serve others in the life of the church. So you have at least one spiritual gift. And you're to use that to serve other believers. And then if you go on down, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these, these gifts, are empowered, empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. God sovereignly gives you the spiritual gift you have. In other words, you don't choose it, God gives it to you as a sovereign gift of grace. He apportions, he chooses what spiritual gift you have, how he sees fit. Just a side note, if you go to a church where they teach you how to use a spiritual gift and the main teacher has some type of anointing that he's transferring to you and you can quote-unquote learn the spiritual gift, it's probably not of the Lord, okay? Because God sovereignly gives you the gift. You don't learn it or get it imparted from some other pastor who gives it to you. The Lord gives you that gift. He alone decides how this church is structured, who gets what gifts, and how they function. Because, by the way, it is Christ's church. He is the head of this church, and He determines how we operate. But we're intrinsically connected to one another. In fellowship, we're mutually dependent upon one another. We serve one another, we use our gifts, we're connected in life together, it's for the common good. And Paul takes it one step further in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, he says this, So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Building up the church. So your spiritual gift is to serve others for the common good, for the building up of the church. Not to personally gain, not to make a name for yourself, not to put yourself out there for the center of attention, but to serve generously others and build up the church. So here's the thing. If you're not using your spiritual gift, then you're not actually building up the church. You're not only stifling your own spiritual maturity, but you're really stifling the maturity of the entire church. 
because we're not doing what God has called us to do in using our gifts the way God has gifted us. So, Paul addresses spiritual gifts in Romans. He tells us we have spiritual gifts. We need to use them. The Spirit gives those gifts to us. The Spirit empowers those gifts. The Spirit is the source of those gifts. We're to do it for the building of the church for the common good. Peter, and by the way, this is not a sermon on spiritual gifts because I could spend like three months talking about all the different spiritual gifts. Peter summarizes two big categories. Okay, so 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him being long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter gives two big categories of gifts here. He doesn't give the list like Paul does in Romans and 1 Corinthians. He gives two big categories. I think these are helpful. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, what are the speaking gifts? He says if you speak the very oracles of God. This is not just generic talking. This is more the the official teaching capacity in the life of the church. Those who preach, those who teach, those who exhort. These are more what you would see as kind of upfront gifts, those that are kind of upfront preaching and teaching. And I would say in the life of a church, not many have the speaking gifts. Most people have the second category, the serving gifts. And Paul just says, if you, and Peter says, serve with the power that God has given you. So there's two big arching categories. Some of you, God is gifted to speak, to teach, to lead, to communicate, to encourage. The vast majority of you, I believe, in my experience in church history, or in, in church life, is that God has given you a serving gift. More behind the scenes. A gift to be used with your hands, maybe, or, or to serve. All different areas. And notice that the bottom line is, is so that God may be glorified. Why do we use our spiritual gifts? So that God may be glorified. So let's ask the question, what's the chief end of man? To what? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What's the chief end of using your spiritual gifts? (laughs) To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It goes together. You glorify God by using your spiritual gifts. And And the contrast is true if you don't use your spiritual gifts you're not glorifying god again peter and paul both say use your gifts and we do it in the power that god gives us now how do you discover your gifts we could again spend a month of sundays about this but let me give you seven practical suggestions Because maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. I have a spiritual gift. Nobody ever told me that. How do I use it? What what is it? Okay, so here's a list. This is quick, okay? So we're going to run through these very quick. Number one, study the spiritual gifts described in Scripture. So go back and study these gifts. Find out what the Bible says about the specific gifts that are listed. In Romans, particularly, in 1 Corinthians, and then Peter kind of gives the two overarching ones. Okay, number two, spend time in prayer. Ask God, Lord, show me what gift I may have. Spend time praying about how you could be using your gift. Ask God to open your mind to the scriptures and maybe say, God, what gift have you sovereignly given me? I don't know. I'm praying. Okay, number three, ask this question to yourself. What do I like to do? What do I like to do? 
What do I enjoy doing? Okay, question number four. Ask yourself, what am I good at? Oftentimes, God will bring your spiritual gift into something that you're good at and you like to do. There's kind of a a, a good marriage there. Okay, but here's the the number five. This is probably the most important. Always look for opportunities to serve and jump in. Pastor Sean, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, so I can't serve until I discover it. And there's a Greek word for that. You want to know what the Greek word is? Baloney. Okay, baloney. You don't have to exactly know what your spiritual gift is before you serve because you may see a, a need in the life of the church and you may just like, I just need to jump in and serve. So always be in looking for opportunities to serve and just jump in because you'll probably discover your gift while you are serving. Okay, number six. As you're serving, look for evidences of confirmation and blessing. Is God blessing? Are you frustrated? Is it like, you know, banging your head against the wall? Are you finding fulfillment? Is God blessing? Is, 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 are people coming up and saying, wow, we, we really see you, you know, thriving in this? And then number seven kind of goes along with that. Seek the wisdom of other Christians. What do other Christians say about this? Do they see your giftedness? Do they, do they affirm you? Do they, you know, ask, ask a, a more mature Christian to see what they see in your life? My dad, who's been in ministry over 50 years, gives this principle in discovering spiritual gifts. He says, Sean, it's the spaghetti principle. Okay, dad, what's the spaghetti principle? That's a new theological term I've never heard of. He's like, well, how do you know spaghetti's done? Throw it against the ceiling, and if it's done, what? It sticks, (laughs) okay? Sometimes you just have to jump into a ministry, jump into an opportunity, jump into serving, and then while you're in the process of it, it'll stick. God will reveal it to you. He'll show you what your actual spiritual gift is. Now, let me clear up some possible confusion regarding the pathway. The pathway is not linear, it's circular. And some of you may be thinking, well, do I have to be part of a growth group and do I have to be part of a D group before I serve? Because here's the worship biblically, connect relationally, grow intentionally. Okay, I have to do all those three before I serve. No, you don't. You can jump onto the pathway at any, at any point. So you don't have to be part of a growth group to serve. You don't have to be part of a D group to serve. You can serve without being in those. But let me just say this. You may be better equipped and encouraged and empowered and entrusted to serve if you're involved in those. So it's not necessary, but it's preferred. Now, I also don't want to make you... Uh, frustrated this morning by saying, hey, use your spiritual gifts. So in your bulletin, take it out. Take out that sheet of paper. On the back of the discipleship pathway, there is a list of things we could think of today as staff of all the different areas in the life of our church right now that maybe you could possibly put a check mark or think about where you might want to serve. Now, there may be some things on that list that we haven't even thought about, so maybe you want to write on there, I want to start such and such ministry, or I have a burden for this. But this kind of is a thought jogger to get yourself going to say, here's something tangible this morning right in front of you to say, hey, these are areas of service in the life of Emmanuel. I want to jump in. I may not know what my spiritual gift is, but I see something and I want to jump in. So you may want to take that list home with you and pray about it or discuss it with your family and think about it or or come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Dustin, talk to one of the elders. How can you be a servant in the life of the church using your spiritual gifts? And just a side note, probably the most important. We serve because Jesus first served us. He's the ultimate servant. 
What does Mark tell us? Mark 10.45 Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. We serve because Jesus served us by giving His life. He died on the cross for our sins, rose again that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So, like I said last week, you can't even begin to do any of these things on the, on the pathway unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ for salvation, you've never understood that you need salvation because you stand separated from a holy God and that your sins separate you from God and you need to be forgiven and that you will go to hell on the day that you die if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then the, the, the most important thing you can do today is to understand that you're a sinner, cry out and ask Jesus to forgive you and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And the Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He gave his life as a ransom for many Would you trust in Jesus today and receive the gift of salvation? So number one, believers are using their gifts to serve one another. Okay, what's another culture of serving generously? The second thing we see. Believers are excited and equipped to share the gospel. So not only are you serving others with your spiritual gifts, but you're excited and equipped to share the gospel. Now, back to our Acts passage. What do you see there? Now, we could go back and look at Peter's sermon, but it's a very evangelistic sermon. The Holy Spirit brings conviction upon these people. And then verse 41 says, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people got saved that day. But is that where it ended? No, look at the very end. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Again, this shows us God's sovereignty and salvation. They weren't just out there making converts in their own power. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord was saving them. God was sovereignly bringing his people to himself through the life of the early church and them preaching the gospel. So they were coming to faith through the testimony through the gospel, through the sharing of the church. And so what did Jesus tell his disciples, and by extension us, in John 17, 18? As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Jesus has sent us into the world. We've been sent out to be witnesses. Acts 1, 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You will share the gospel. You'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay, two things that we need in sharing the gospel, and Paul prayed for these. It's it's always amazing to me when I read this. Paul was probably the greatest church-planting missionary that ever lived, and he prayed this prayer. Let me, let me show you what he prays here in Ephesians 6, 18, 19 through 20. Pray also for me. Okay, Paul, what are we supposed to pray for? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul prays for boldness. We must be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Are you praying for boldness? Are you praying for courage? Are you praying that you would have the words to share the gospel, especially in a hostile culture that doesn't want to hear it? Okay, what else does Paul pray? Colossians 4, 3-4. At the same time, pray also for us, 
that, the, that God may open a door to uh, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here Paul prays for clarity. So you should be praying for two things, courage and clarity. Courage and clarity. Courage to share the gospel with boldness. Clarity to make sure that you don't water it down. More than any time in the history of our nation, probably right now, we need Christians who are bold and clear. And my job as your pastor is to equip you to do so. And as we read earlier during our time of confession, 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready to give an answer. Now, when you think about the pathway, think about the pathway for a moment. If you're sharing the gospel with somebody, what would be a natural thing for you to do? Invite them into the pathway to worship biblically, where they can come to a worship service like this. You can invite a friend to church, have them come to a worship service, sit under the preaching of the gospel where they can hear the gospel preached. Romans ten seventeen: faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Or you could say, you know what? I'm going to invite them to a growth group. I'm going to invite them to a home group. I'm going to invite them to connect relationally. They've been talking. I have a great relationship with them. Maybe coming to a worship service is a little bit too intimidating, but maybe they'd come to a small group Bible study. So I'm going to invite them to connect relationally. Or you could say, you know what? I'm going to meet with you, and we're going to do a D group. And I'm going to share the gospel with you, and I'm going to show you what it means to, to, to have faith in Christ. So there's different ways you can invite them into the pathway. So that the main thing is, are you serving generously by using your spiritual gifts, and are you sharing the gospel with others with courage and clarity? And when you invest in a non-believer, let's say that you invest in a non-believer, and they get saved by God's grace, what do you do next? You get them on the pathway. You get them on the discipleship pathway. You get them in the process you're on. Okay, so you tell them, listen, Emmanuel has this process. We're not going to leave you hanging. We want you to worship biblically, so come to church with us. We want you to connect relationally. We want you to be a part of a small group. And then even if God would lead you to be part of a D group, and then we want you to serve, we're inviting them to come into this process of disciple making, the same process that we're all on in growing. Think about the process you yourself have been involved in. It's not my job to disciple them. I would gladly do that. But if you're going through the process yourself, what joy and privilege it is for you to invite somebody into that process with you and for you to experience that together as you're taking ownership and you're helping them. Okay, so number one, serve using your gifts. Number two, share the gospel with courage and clarity. And here's the third thing about a culture of serving generously. Third, believers are empowered and entrusted to lead in ministry. Lead. Now, we don't see this in Acts chapter 2, but if we continue through the book of Acts, you do see this. So I want to show you Acts 14. You can either turn there or it will be on the screen, whatever um, floats your boat, because it's just a few more, chap- a few more verses over. So Acts 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Okay, what are they doing? They're preaching the gospel. There's evangelism. They're making disciples. There's the the whole disciple-making piece. What are they doing? Verse 22, they're strengthening the souls of the disciples. 
They're encouraging them to continue in the faith. They're saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And here's the key right here as far as leadership. Verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They had appointed elders. They were identifying and trusting and empowering spiritual leaders to shepherd the flock. So part of serving generously is that God may be working in your life to become a leader. Now, that could be the process of eldership. That could be going through the process of being a deacon. That could be any manner of of leadership in the life of our church. And here's one thing that Emmanuel definitely needs. We need leaders from the younger generation. We need younger leaders. We need leaders coming from the young. and And I'm speaking... Just because you're a teenager here today doesn't mean you can't be a leader. I'm looking at some of you youth. You can lead. God has called you to that. We need a cadre. We need a, 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 an army of younger people to begin be serving in leadership in the life of our church. It's the future of our church. Now, think about this pattern of leadership development you see in the Bible. Let me give you an Old Testament example of leadership development. Moses and Joshua. And next week when we start Judges, you'll find out how Joshua failed where Moses succeeded. But I'm going to leave you hanging on that. Okay, Numbers 27, 18 through 20. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest with him some of your authority, and all the congregation of the people of Israel must obey. Okay, this is the ordination ceremony where Moses is publicly laying hands upon Joshua in a ceremony where the entire nation sees there's a transfer of leadership. I'm transferring my leadership. I'm empowering. I'm entrusting Joshua to take over when I am gone because Moses was not going to live that much longer. So he entrusted it to the younger man, Joshua, to lead. And think about the pressure that Joshua had. Moses had been their guy for 40 years, and now Joshua's going to be the guy. So what does Joshua need? He needs encouragement. He needs empowerment. He needs to be entrusted by Moses. Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to the fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. If you go through Exodus In Leviticus and Numbers, you find out there's many times where Moses is mentoring Joshua. He's taking him up on the mountain. He's spending time with him. He's empowering him. He's entrusting him. He's encouraging him. You're the man. You're going to lead these people into the promised land. I'm not going to be able to do that. You're going to lead them. Don't be afraid. And then in Joshua 1, 1 through 3, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Moses is dead. Moses has equipped Joshua to take the baton to lead the next generation into the promised land. Transfer of leadership, entrusting leadership, raising up leadership from the younger generation, older generation to younger generation to lead the mission 
forward. And so it's vitally important that we have younger leaders being identified and trusted to lead, to take us into the next generation. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We need to have a culture of entrusting people as leaders with the gospel so that we can raise up the next generation of leaders. So let's just recap. What are these three areas of serving generously? First, you're discovering your spiritual gifts so that you can serve others. And I kind of gave you a list of things to think about, and there's some opportunities in the bulletin insert. Number two, you're excited and equipped to share the gospel. Now, some of you may not know how to share the gospel, and over the years we've had equipping seminars and we've had evangelism training where we've trained you how to do that. We want you to be excited to share the gospel and equipped. And then third, believers are empowered and trusted to lead in ministry. We want to raise up leaders. So here's the bottom line. A healthy church has a culture of generosity, of serving, and of evangelism. A culture of generosity, serving, and evangelism, and a culture of raising up new leaders. That's what a healthy church is. A healthy church is healthy in serving, healthy in evangelism, healthy in raising up leaders, a culture of generosity. And what's the goal of this? It's to impact the church and the world for Christ. So you can make a difference. You can play a part in something bigger than yourself. So let's ask the question again that we started this whole sermon series four weeks ago. What is the mission of the church? What's the mission of Emmanuel? And we don't have some fancy mission statement that we have to take from somewhere. We get it directly from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Our mission is to make disciples. It's non-negotiable. It's a mandate from Jesus himself. And so if we want to be an obedient church, we've got to make disciples. So as elders, we have prayed about what's the most effective way to do that consistently. What's the structure? What's the pathway? What's the vehicle? And so we have landed on this discipleship pathway as the, the model, the biblical model, the vehicle. Now, we as elders can facilitate the strategy. We can have a four-week sermon series to communicate the strategy. And we can champion the strategy, and we can have graphics in your bulletin, and we can have posters on the wall, and we can do all these things. And we should be doing that. But let us not forget what's most important. Only God in His sovereign grace can make it a reality. We have to be totally dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. Let me ask you a question, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Can you save sinners? Can you open dead hearts and give life? Can you blow like the wind, like the Holy Spirit? Can you bring about transformation? Can you bring about conversion? Can you endow people with spiritual gifts? Can you do anything spiritually deep inside a dead sinner or even inside a, of, a, of a person who's been saved to bring about that process of growth? No, you and I can't. Now, we can implement the discipleship pathway as a process, but ultimately, God has to do the work. So again, like I said a few weeks ago, I'm just asking you to pray about your part in this. 
Where are you right now on the pathway? And what's your next step? And maybe today, God has been moving in your heart that I need to be serving. I don't know exactly where it is, but I got a wrestling in my heart. I need to be serving. Or maybe you're convicted, you know what? I need to be more equipped to share the gospel with courage and clarity here. Or maybe some of you are saying, you know what? God may be calling me to leadership. God may be doing a work in you. So pray. And I want us to pray like Paul did. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. This is how we started the service today. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That should be our prayer. Here's my prayer as your pastor. Not, hey, we have a cool discipleship pathway. Or, hey, we have these cool groups that are happening. No, here's my prayer. When you step back and look, you say, God in His sovereignty did something amazing that we could not explain, we could not think, we could not imagine, but we're blown away because God has done this and God receives all the glory. What are you asking God to do right now that when God does it, God alone gets the glory? May I ask that again? What are you asking God to do right now that when God does it, God alone gets the glory? Are you praying that way? Are you praying for God's power, God's glory, God's majesty, God's work? To Him be the glory in the church throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So this morning we're going to see the Bible in the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts as we think about Jesus as our ultimate servant, he served us by shedding his blood and dying on the cross. And as we think about the Lord's Supper, let's think about his generosity in serving us as a motivation for us then to go out and serve generously with the grace that he gives us. So let me ask you to bow your heads as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate servant. You served us by shedding your blood on the cross, dying in our place, taking the wrath of God that we deserved, rising again victoriously, ascending to the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, and we know one day you're going to come back in power and glory. But until that day, you've given us the mandate to make disciples. And Lord, one of the ways we do that is by serving one another generously, by sharing the gospel boldly, and by raising up new leaders. And so Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would begin to create a culture here at Emmanuel of generosity, a culture of servanthood, a culture of evangelism, a culture where, Lord, we look back and we can't explain what's going on All we can do is say God is at work. God is doing a work. God is getting praise. God is doing his own plan for his own glory. And we're just playing a small part of what God is doing. So help our eyes to be fixed upon you, Jesus. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be joyful. 
And Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, let it be a time of joy, a time of celebration, a time of remembrance where we can just rest secure that our sins are forgiven and that you rule and reign in our hearts as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.